Uh, can I get the lights up? Thanks. Oh, there we go. <clears throat> and it's good to be with you again. Um, one of the things I love about what I get to do is I get to be in a lot of different churches who do church in a lot of different ways. Um, and it was such a joy watching you all just fellowship together. You know, we missed that for a year or so, didn't we? And boy, let us not ever take that for granted, right? And I always know it's a, a pretty healthy church when you have trouble getting you all to stop talking to each other. Um, and so that's probably a good thing, right? Hey, this is kind of a two-part sermon. Last week, we talked a little bit about uh, the Acts chapter 6 situation, um, and that's kind of how the deacon ministry began in the New Testament. Uh, the book of Acts kind of describes a dilemma, and then the solution, as we learned last week, was deacons. Remember, it went from murmuring to ministry to multiplying, and through that, uh, we see the ministry of the deacons. The deacons were established to serve the members of the church. Um, and I think it's interesting that in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, uh, there were a couple of uh, characteristics of these men. They were full of the Holy Spirit, and they were full of faith. And when, we, when you think about what a deacon is, I think that describes it pretty well. We also learned that the word deacon is a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which means one who serves, uh, supporting, sharing, and so forth. Well, this morning, uh, I want to move to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at two passages. Hopefully, that outline will kind of help you in case I get distracted and my ADD kicks in. That's why I give that to you. So if I don't know where I'm going, you do. Um, and so that might be helpful. We're going to look, first of all, at 1 Timothy, and then we're going to flip over to 2 Timothy. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, uh, the first uh, seven verses talk about the overseer or the minister. Beginning in verse 8, we see the word deacon. Now, Paul's letters to Timothy have been a source of great encouragement to me in ministry. I've been in ministry now for, well, at least over 10 years, um, and I've needed direction uh, many, many times. And I go back to First and Second Timothy and I've tried to follow that uh, true north course, if you will, that Paul lays out for Timothy. I've failed many, many times, but uh, I think God's Word speaks to me to encourage me, to give me direction, to help set my life and ministry on a true north leading. Uh, every time before I get up to speak, how I did it just a moment ago, I remind God. You ever reminded God? Like why? I don't know, but I need to remind God that you called me to this. I didn't want to do this. I had another plan for my life. In the same way, I believe deacons are called of God like in any ministry role in the church. All of you in this room have gifts. You have spiritual gifts that God has given you. And by the way, if you're not using your spiritual gifts, this church is handicapped. Because God has given all the spiritual gifts this church needs to fulfill its unique God-given mission. So if you're on the sidelines, get in the game. If God is calling you to be a deacon in the same way, get in the game. So I want to challenge you as a church to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and He's the one who puts a calling on our lives 
And he gives us spiritual gifts to fulfill that calling. Unfortunately, the world too often reduces people to titles, objects, symbols, etc., right? But when we, when we see people through the eyes of Jesus, we see things in a whole different perspective. Oftentimes I pray, God, give me the eyes to see what I would not normally see. Because there are times when people can be interruptions. But I need, <laughs> I need to see them through Jesus' eyes, right? How many times was Jesus interrupted? That's a whole different sermon. So, so what I want to share with us, look at... at 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, um, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So as we think about what it is that a deacon is supposed to do and be, I often refer to these as not necessarily qualifications, but characteristics. When I read this, every time I read this list, I fail. I don't qualify. Now, if we're talking 365, 24-7, right, I mess up. But I'm striving to these characteristics to be evident in my life. As we found last week in chapter six, Acts chapter 6, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here in chapter 3, verse 8, to be wise, worthy of respect sincere, self-controlled, a one-woman man, if you will, right? One who manages his own family, a clear conscience, above reproach. Boy, that, that phrase in the King James Version, above reproach, always is one that I'm, I'm striving toward that. Do, am I, do I arrive every day? No, but I'm striving towards that. Uh, to, to promote the harmony of the, of, the, of the church and so forth. These are characteristics that we're to strive for. Now, how do we do that? That's the question I always ask. How do we do that? Well, when we see people in Jesus' eyes, like I mentioned earlier, we will see what? We will see their needs, their hurts, their frustrations, their disappointments, their discouragement. And as our leadership team discovered, we will see them as broken. We're all broken. But aren't you thankful that God uses broken things? Everybody should say amen on that one. I'm just saying, because we're all broken. Basically, we're to love people well. And this love for people will lead to compassionate ministry. Just like a shepherd loves his sheep. My grandfather raised sheep over in Canyon City. And he loved those sheep. I actually helped birth some lambs when I was a young boy. They always happened at 3 o'clock in the morning, but we did it, right? We always had to irrigate at 4. I never could figure that one out, but he finally explained it to me. That's all. again. So he loved his sheep, and they loved him. 
In the same way, we need to love people. And when you love people, it helps you to value them and to uh, respect them, even when we mess up. So in the outline, I have a little acrostic there. I've used the word love, L-O-V-E. And the L stands for the word listen. To love, one's, to love someone is to listen unconditionally to their values, their needs, their hurts, their struggles. To listen well. The O is to overlook. To love someone is to overlook their flaws, their faults. Understand, again, we're all broken, right? And I'm going to look for the good. I'm going to look for the good in people. The V is for voice. To love one some is to voice your approval of them on a regular basis. There is no substitute for honest encouragement. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, was asked, how do you know someone needs encouragement? You know what he said? If they're breathing. <laughs> we all need encouragement. Right? I mean, we all need somebody just to speak a positive word, to share their voice of encouragement with us. And then the letter E is for effort. To love one someone is to make a constant effort to spend time with them, to make a sacrifice, to go the extra mile, to show you're interested in them, to spend time with, to make an effort to spend time with them. And that results in what I call biblical community. Now, that's different than what the world defines as community. I talk about biblical community. Let me give you this quick definition. We're not going to spend much time on this, but I want you to, to hear it. How do you define biblical community? Well, let me suggest it's to know and be known, to love and be loved, to serve and be served, and to celebrate and be celebrated. To me, that kind of defines the essence of biblical community. So as deacons, our job is to help develop that kind of, of culture in our church where biblical community exists. Now, let me shift over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, turn over a page or two. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 11, is another portion of Scripture that I've hung on to for all of these years. And Paul reminds Timothy of some principles that I want to remind us of today when we talk about deacons and as we start to talk about the church. Verse 6, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, He's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Paul reminds Timothy, here are some principles you need to hold fast to, regardless of how difficult the ministry can get. 
So there are three things, and I have them there in the outline. Number one, remain true to God's Word. As a deacon in a church body, we need to remain true to God's Word. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flowers fail, but what? The Word of God stands forever. Forever. Now, in our world, the Bible is being attacked. Atheists, scholars, scientists... Theologians, even some ministers attack the Bible. Some discard it entirely. Others are not content to discard it, but they try to distort it and shape it into their own selfish desires, whatever they want it to say. They pick and choose. Remember, the Bible is God's own holy and sacred word. We have no right to alter alter it. We have no right to distort it. We have no right to rewrite it. God's word stands forever. So as deacons, we need to remain true to God's word and hold it high and teach it as God's infallible word. Magnify God's word. To be true to the word, and if you are, it will change you. It will mold you. It will help you become more like Christ. And then you share His Word with other people, with power and love and discipline, as Paul tells Timothy here to do. That is true for all of us. In verse 7 it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So as deacons, we are to communicate God's Word clearly. And to alter or change or misinterpret God's Word will lead to disaster. It will lead to a worthless ministry because you have no foundation on which to stand. So remain true to God's word. Secondly, we need to remain true to our Lord. Look at verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. As we remain true to God's word, then the spirit of Jesus becomes more real to us each and every day. We need to learn of His faithfulness, His love, His his joy, His hope, right? All these candles. We need to learn how to do that more effectively. We also need to learn steadfastness. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to quit. In fact, when I was pastoring, I told all of our staff, you cannot resign on Monday. I don't care how bad it went. You got to wait till Tuesday. And you know, most of them didn't resign. So, Greg, you can't resign on Monday, all right? You got to at least wait till Tuesday and let the dust settle. It's probably not as bad as we think it is. But with Jesus as the Lord of our life, He will never lead us astray, right? He will never tempt us, He will test us, but He will never lead us astray. And if we begin to go astray, Then we divide our loyalties. And as deacons, part of our job is helping our church continue in the way it needs to go. But there's a critical element here. That's when we keep Christ first in our lives. You can't let the church, you can't let your wife or your husband, you can't let your family or work be more important to you than Jesus. He gave us all for us. 
so we can do no less for him. When my wife and I got married, she understood, we both understood, I was not first in her life. She was not first in my life. Christ was. But as we grew closer to Christ, we grew closer to each other. Over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. In everything, not some things, not when it's convenient, not on just on Sunday morning, but he has supremacy all the time. So we need to remain true to God's word. We need to remain true to our Lord. And thirdly, we need to remain true to our calling. Look back at verse 8 of 2 Timothy 1. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner. See, Paul was not ashamed of his calling, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us, called us to a holy life. We're all called, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. As a deacon, we have been called out by God and by his church to serve, minister, love, and encourage. Each church has a unique role for their deacons. Often, when I was pastoring, uh, there was, I had 45 deacons at one time. Uh, and the, our monthly deacon meeting was the one meeting I looked forward to because they were the most affirming and encouraging group of men I've ever been around. And some of them are still close friends to this day. But to shepherd our church was a heavy task. And so they took very seriously their, the God's calling on their lives and their wives along with them as partners in ministry. Our calling was to serve the church. And so every month we'd ask that question, how are you serving the body? How are you serving your families? The deacons didn't run the church. They didn't uh, tell me what to do but rather they served the body. They shepherded the body. And some of them became my best friends in ministry. And their wives are still close to us to this day. So that's our calling to serve the church, to be what the church needs us to be for a healthy church to survive. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 wrote these words, beginning in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. We need to remain true to that calling. God has called you to a high calling. And with this calling comes much responsibility. And with this responsibility comes greater judgment. If we fail to do and to teach and to minister, God will hold us to account. That's why I remind God every Sunday. I didn't want to do this. But fine, I'm here. But there is a higher accounting that goes with that. If we fail to do and to teach and to minister, God will hold us to account. Now, how do we serve well? How do we do this? I like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. As you know, his books are all kind of interconnected. Verse 6 of Philippians 1, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God always finishes what he starts. It doesn't say God might finish it. It doesn't say God hopes to finish it. It says he will finish. And he wants us to sprint across that finish line. If you have given your life to Christ, you're going to make it to heaven. There's no doubt about it. We have eternal security. It's a done deal. You're going to make it across the finish line because it doesn't depend on your performance. It depends on God's sustaining grace. The only question is how will you finish the race? We all know church leaders who haven't done well, haven't finished well. Ministry is tough. And as a deacon, you're in the battle alongside your pastor. You're not to battle with your pastor. You're in a battle together alongside of him. And sometimes people who are called quit. Other times leaders have moral failure. Or they just get tired and jump ship. I get it. I first, um, I surrendered to God's call in 1975. So you do the math. It's more than 10 years. <laughs> I was licensed in December of 1975 to the ministry. In three years, that'll be 50 years. I was only two. <laughs> um, How do we finish the race of life well? Well, look back at our Second Timothy 1, verse 9. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. By relying on God's sustaining grace. God wants to sustain us. He wants us to do various ministries that he's equipped us to. And he wants us to do it through our entire lives. People have asked me, so when are you going to retire? I don't know. My wife just retired, and you saw what happened to her. I don't think I want to retire. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'll ever completely retire. I mean, David, Kathy, you guys have been doing this a long time, too. And I think I'll change hats, as I have throughout ministry. Uh, but you know what? God wants us to sprint across that finish line. Uh, some of you may know Steve Hoekstra. Steve just passed away this last week. Uh, Steve Hoekstra just passed away this last week. Um, been battling cancer for a number of years. I first met Steve in 1986. And he was ornery then. And some things just don't change. But you know, he always called himself a servant to servants. And that's truly what he was. And now he's beat cancer. He's with his heavenly father. And he's complete. He's perfect. He always thought he was anyway. But now we know he was. Uh, I have a privilege of calling him a good friend. And we've done a lot of ministry. Because of God's grace. But what, what is sustaining grace? Grace is the currency of all relationships, by the way. If you're married, you know that. Men, you know that. 
If she wasn't gracious to you, she would have kicked you out a long time ago. (laughs) Sustaining grace is the power to keep on going when you feel like giving up. So deacons, there's going to be times you're going to feel like giving up. But hang on to that sustaining grace. It's the power to do the right thing when you don't feel like doing the right thing and when the right thing is hard. Sometimes the right thing is hard. I can't tell you how many times I've had to sit down with somebody and say, I really don't want to have this conversation with you. It'd be easier if I just walked away. I tend to be a turtle. My wife's a skunk. She would agree with me, by the way. Allison, you can call her. She'll confess. She kind of spews. I put my head in my shell. And I hope when I put it out tomorrow, it'll be better. And it isn't. But I hope it will be. So doing the right thing isn't always easy. Yeah, my tendency, my default is to hide. But no, I got to do the. I love you enough to have this conversation. What a great statement. Feel free to use it. I had one original thought anyway. I'm sure it's borrowed. Uh, One original thought I've already forgotten. So I love you enough to have this conversation, Bob. I love you enough to have this conversation. I don't want to, but we need to have this conversation. All right? Sustaining grace is the power to do the right thing when the right thing isn't easy. And you rest in God's grace, and you simply do what you know, know to do in the moment. And as we do what we know to do to serve His bride, the church, as deacons, He will provide the power to sustain us. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we rest in Christ and His strength, we will then look like 1 Timothy chapter 3. We will then look like Christ. And we'll walk worthy of his calling. The servant spirit will distinguish us and our church from other organizations. What makes a deacon body different from a board of directors or a board of trustees? I mean, are we simply out there and does the world just see us indistinguishable from everybody else? You know what makes us different? God's grace. And when we cut each other some grace, I want to charge all of us in this room to remember your calling from Christ. We all have a calling. It looks different. We all have a giftedness. But as deacons, I want to challenge us to be true to that calling that Jesus will give us His grace to fulfill it well and to finish the race at a sprint not a crawl. When we do that, when we remember to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love, Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. That's a pretty good job description. Put that in the bylaw somewhere. So how do we flesh this out? I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Remember that acrostic? Here's how you flesh it out. Listen unconditionally. Overlook the flaws and faults of those around you. Trust me, look in the mirror, right? Voice your encouragement on a regular basis to people around you. 
and make a constant effort to spend time with people. One of the things I tell my seminary students is you practice the presence of Jesus in the presence of others. So practice the presence of Jesus in the presence of the people God has allowed you to impact and to touch. Your sphere of influence. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, as Paul writes, right, finishes up his thoughts to Timothy. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing wander from their faith. And he says at the very end, and I'm going to finish with this, Greg. He says, grace be with you. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for your calling on our lives individually.